open your copies of God's Word to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 3. This afternoon I was supposed to bring to you a sermon from verse 8. <clears throat> but I was preparing, as I was preparing, I, I, I realized that there's a very important doctrine here that we must underscore. At least from the four verses that we have just finished considering, verse 4 to 7. So I'm going to... Uh, I'd like to bring your attention to verse 4 through to 7 again. And that is where someone will be coming from. Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read the chapter. We'll consider those four verses there. This is the infallible word of God. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenas the lawyer and Apollos on their way, See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. That is God's word. I'm going to pray and then we will consider the matter of the sovereignty of God in salvation from those four verses there. with me in prayer father we <clears throat> come to you this afternoon and we are just about to hear the exposition of your word we pray that you may keep us from being double-minded that we may love your law pray that you may be our hiding place and our shield for we hope in your word we pray that you may keep you, you may you may keep us from straying from your commandments and from being like evil doers who hate your law. We pray that you may uphold us according to your promise that we may live. We pray that you may hold us up, that we may be safe, 
having regard for your statutes continuously. We pray that you may help us to be kept from going astray from your statutes. We pray that you may help us to love your testimonies. We pray that you may make us afraid of your judgments. Help us to tremble and fear before your word. Grant that as we listen to the preaching of your word this afternoon, we may be brought to our knees. We may be uh, bowed before you. We ask that you may be glorified. The preaching of your word. Help me to faithfully handle it. Lead us in your paths of righteousness as your word is brought to us. Please we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Is there anyone in this world who is able to do anything that he wants? Have you ever met someone who is able to do whatever he or she wants to do? A rich kid, maybe. The president, perhaps. Um, but the truth of the matter is no human in this world apart from the Lord Jesus Christ of course has the right to do whatever he wants and what he pleases I mean even the president is regulated by the constitution there's only so much that he can do he cannot do whatever he he wants at, at whatever time he pleases now we are free to make choices of course because we are free free beings but then even the choices we make have in one way or another outside influence right they are not completely entirely free and they definitely have consequences so the choices we make are are made deliberately they, they are to be made carefully and this is because even though we are free beings we are not absolutely free so that while we may say that we have a free will which is true we do have a free will it's also true to say that our will is bound to our nature so that our free our will is not free to do anything and everything that we please it's bound to our nature the people that we are and it's not absolutely free which means that course we cannot do anything and everything that we please only god is absolutely free only god can do whatever he wants without worrying that anyone will question him daniel chapter 4 verse 35 all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him what have you done? God is the only free agent, free being in this world. The only one who can do anything and everything that he pleases. And no one can ask him, what are you doing? What I'm saying is that God does what he wants, where he wants, however he wants. And that's what it means for him to be sovereign ruler. Psalm 15 verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 135 verse 6 Whatever the Lord pleases He does in heaven and on earth And in the seas And all the deeps Because all of God's actions Are free and thus sovereign 
It therefore follows that God is sovereign in salvation. And this is what I'd like us to see this afternoon. A.W. Pink says this for sovereignty of God in salvation. Quote, Salvation is of the Lord. This is Jonah chapter 2 verse 9. But the Lord does not save all. Why not? He does save some. Then if he saves some, some, why not others? Is it because they are too sinful and depraved? No. For the apostle wrote, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15. Therefore, if God saved the chief of sinners, none are excluded because of their depravity. None are excluded because they are depraved. Why then does, does, God, does, does not God save all? Is it because some are too stony-hearted to be one? No. Because it is written that God will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Then is it because some are so stubborn, so intractable, so defiant that God is unable to woo them to himself? Why is it that all are not saved, particularly all who hear the gospel? Do you still answer because the majority refuse to believe? Well, that is true, but it, it is only a part of the truth. It is the truth from the human side. But there is a divine side too. And this side of the truth needs to be stressed or God will be robbed of his glory. The unsaved are lost because they refuse to believe. The others are saved because they believe. But why do these others believe? Pink asks. What is it that causes them to put their trust in Christ? Is it because they are more intelligent than their fellows and quicker to discern their need of salvation? Perish the thought. Who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It is God himself who maketh the difference between the elect and the non-elect. For of his own it is written, and we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. First John chapter 5, verse 20. End quote. It's a long quote there from A.W. Pink. And what he's basically asking is, why are some people saved and not, and not others? And that's what I'd like us to be considering this afternoon. The task that I have undertaken to perform cannot be possibly accomplished in one sermon. But I, I thought that this would be a good closing sermon for the passage that we have just finished considering verses 4 to 7. So, so please forgive me if I fail to say some things or everything. Even as I seek to show you this truth from this passage that our God is sovereign in salvation. That's, why, that's how I've titled the sermon this afternoon. Our God is sovereign in salvation. I will take you to other passages, but because of the scope of the subject at hand, I can only do so much. So I'd like to show you this evening that the work of God, the Trinity, 
in the salvation of sinners is united. The father is not doing his own things apart from the son and the spirit. The son is not doing his own things apart from the father and the spirit. And the spirit is not doing his own things apart from the father and the son. A house divided against itself cannot stand, said our Lord. And that's then, I'd like for you to see from this passage that number one, God the Father is sovereign in salvation. Number two, God the Son, uh, God the Holy Spirit is sovereign in salvation. And number three, God the Son is sovereign in salvation. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, all are sovereign in salvation. And this is to say that all of them are working in unison. They are of one mind and one purpose. Therefore, when we say that our God is sovereign in salvation, at least from the text that we are considering, we are saying that all the three persons of the Godhead are sovereign in the salvation of sinners. So let's consider these points. Number one, God the Father is sovereign in salvation. Look with me at verses 4 and 5 and verse 7. The Bible says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Verse 7. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I'd like you to see that God the Father is sovereign in goodness. But when the goodness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. God in his nature is good, my friends. He is good to all. The Bible tells us that God is good to all, all his creatures. He causes it to rain uh, on the righteous as well as on the wicked. All his creatures live, move and have their being in him, for he is good. Our Lord tells us that only God is good. God never does wrong. God never does evil. He always does that which is good and right and true. That which is in accordance with his nature. Everything he made, he saw that it was good, right? Genesis chapter 1. His law is good. Righteous law. It is good. And every good gift comes from him. We give thanks to him, therefore, the psalmist says, for he is good. God is good. Now, the goodness that the Apostle Paul uh, is speaking of here is one that is exercised sovereignly for the salvation of his people. This is the goodness that extends so much as to save a people for himself. Thus then, what does the apostle say? That when the goodness of God our Savior appeared, this is our particular goodness, he saved us. This is that salvific goodness where he sovereignly bestows salvation to his people, those that the apostle calls there us. Is that language? He saved us. And he says that he is our savior when the goodness of God, our savior. This is a particular goodness. You see there that this goodness is special. It appears to his people and not to everyone. This is a goodness that appears only to the people of God. When the goodness of God, our savior, appeared, he saved us. He saved that particular people. The Father is sovereign in goodness. See there, secondly, that the Father is sovereign in loving kindness. 
but when the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. So he says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. So there, there are those two things there. The goodness of God which is exercised sovereignly and the loving kindness of God which is also exercised sovereignly. He says there, He saved us. Now, oh, my friends, let me say this to you without mincing words. God does not love everyone. God does not love everyone. He does not love everyone at least in the same way. He chooses those whom He will love. If God loved everyone, no one would go to hell. So it's a contradiction to say that there are people who go to hell whom God loves. If God loved everyone, He would love the demons. If God loved everyone, He would love the devil himself. God does not love everyone, my friends. He doesn't love everyone in the same way. Because all men are children of wrath. There is nothing in us really that attracts the love of God. That causes God to love us. He doesn't love everyone. God just loves us. He just loves us out of the purity of His sovereignty. It is all Him. It's all Him. He chooses and hence He loves. Or is there anyone here who is willing to say that he or she was so lovely that God could not help but love them? Is there anyone? No one. Submit to you that even if you, even if you thought like that for a second, you would only be deceiving yourself. God does everything, even loving sinners, out of His own good pleasure, out of His own will. God is sovereign, at least the Father is sovereign in goodness. He is sovereign in loving kindness. The sovereignty of God the Father in love is ultimately seen in the text of Romans chapter 9 and verse 13. You know this text? As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. God decided to love Jacob and to hate Esau. Though they, they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that, the purpose of, that his purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. That's what the apostle says there in Romans 9.11. Indeed, the Bible says that God chose us in love. We've just considered this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4. Even as He chose us, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. God exercises sovereignty in the people that He loves. He exercises sovereignty in the goodness that He bestows and He exercises sovereignty in His loving kindness. Our God is sovereign in salvation. Pink says here, quote, It was in love that God the Father 
predestined his chosen ones unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. According, according to what? According to some excellency he discovered in them? No. What then? According to, uh, to, to what he foresaw they would become? No. Mark carefully the inspired answer. According to the good pleasure of his will. Apostle Paul says that God the Father predestined his people in love for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. God chooses the people that he's going to love. He bestows love upon sinners according to the purpose of his will, sovereignly. Notice there also that God the Father also displays kindness. So he is sovereign in goodness. And this that we are now looking at is loving kindness. The Father is sovereign in loving kindness. He displays kindness. That affection towards sinners in order to save them sovereignly. He's affectionate towards them. God is never forced. God is never compelled to be kind. He sovereignly exercises kindness. His kindness is aimed at leading men to repentance. At least that's what we, we read in Romans chapter 2. And this kindness that he shows us here is exercised sovereignly. Nothing causes God to do anything, my friends. God is the uncaused one. And because nothing causes God to do anything, God does everything, anything and everything out of his sovereignty. His kindness is not caused. He does it sovereignly. This is a love that is followed by affection. That loving kindness. God not only loves sinners, but also does good and freely lends to his enemies. And this is his kindness. But this he does sovereignly. Mark, mark, mark it there, my friends, that God does this out of his mere good pleasure. Notice there that the Father is sovereign in mercy. Verse 5, he saved us. Not because of works done by us, but according to his own mercy. Mercy shows pity. God the Father displays pity upon sinners who deserve his just punishment and does not give it to them. Thus, he is pitiful to them. When we say, Oh God, be merciful to me, what we are asking is that God may stay his hand from giving us that which we deserve. That's what mercy is, right? Not being given what you deserve. That's mercy. For this then the apostle says that God shows mercy sovereignly. Romans chapter 9 verse 15. For he says to Moses what? I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. The father displays mercy sovereignly. God is not obligated to show mercy to anyone. He does, he, he does, not, uh, uh, he does not have to show it. He does it sovereignly. He shows mercy on whomever he pleases. He shows compassion on whomever he pleases. Thus then, no one can tell God or will tell God that he was unfair to them. Because he did not show mercy to them. Because mercy cannot be demanded. What should be demanded is punishment rather than mercy. What we should ask is, why does God not punish? Not why does God show mercy on some. Because mercy is not deserved. Mercy is his prerogative. 
So no one is going to say to God, you are unfair to me because you never show, showed me mercy. He showers it however he pleases. That's then when God says, I will show mercy on whomever I will. I will have compassion on whomever I will. He, he perfectly knows what he's saying. He showers mercy however he pleases. That's then exercising sovereignty even in his display of it. The Father sovereignly shows mercy because the works done by us in righteousness, you see that, you see that verse there? He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Those works that we may do, that we think are righteous, are not enough to cause him to, to take away the punishment from us that we deserve. Indeed, God saved us. Not because of anything that we did. The apostle says, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. This mercy is his own. You see it there? According to his own mercy. Plus then this mercy of God is exercised sovereignly. The Father is sovereign in goodness. The Father is sovereign in loving kindness. The Father is sovereign in mercy. And I'd like you to see that the Father is sovereign in grace. Verse 7. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God the Father is sovereign in everything, my friends. He exercises his sovereignty by being gracious to whomever he pleases. Last week, we saw that grace is that display of favors to the undeserving, even the hell-deserving sinners, by God. When we say, oh God, be gracious to me, what we are asking is that God may give us that which we can never earn. That God may freely give it to us. Pink, again, says here, quote, if unmerited, the none can claim it as their inalienable right. If grace is unearned and undeserved, the none are entitled to it. If grace is a gift, the none can demand it. Therefore, as salvation is by grace, the free gift of God, then he bestows it on whom he pleases. Because salvation is by grace, the very chief of sinners is not beyond the reach of divine mercy. Because salvation is by grace, boasting is excluded and God gets all the glory. End quote. What Pink is saying there is that because grace is unmerited, it's unearned, it's undeserved, no one is entitled to it. And because no one is entitled to it, or because this is the nature of grace, God gives it however he pleases sovereignly so when the apostle says there verse 7 so that being justified by his grace he's saying that those who are counted righteous are 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 so because god is sovereign in counting them righteous god sovereignly graciously counts them righteous so then the nature of grace grants that the father is sovereign in it he dispenses it however he pleases Indeed, we are justified by His grace. God gives the undeserving His favors all throughout His word. You know that, eh? The grace of God is not displayed to His people in the New Testament. All through the scriptures. Journey with me through the scriptures a bit and see that the grace of God is always at work. He graciously chooses Abel or Abel, if you will, and not Cain. He graciously chooses Abraham to walk through him. He graciously chooses Isaac 
and not Ishmael. He graciously chooses Jacob and not Esau. He graciously chooses the Israelites over every other nation. He graciously chooses all the judges, all the kings, all the priests, all the prophets. He graciously chooses to save Nineveh in spite of their sinfulness. He graciously chooses Mary who would bear the Lord Jesus Christ above all other women. Why would God choose Mary? What was special about her? Nothing. He graciously chooses the apostle. He graciously chooses all who would thereafter be saved. God is sovereign in grace. The grace of God is given sovereignly. No one deserves it. No one can claim it. All, all we can do is ask God to be gracious to us. All we can do is ask God to be merciful to us. God exercises his sovereignty in grace in all that he does. Or, or, or perhaps I should ask a question there. Why, why is he not gracious to all men everywhere to give them that which they do not deserve? Why is God going to allow others to go to hell? It's because his grace is sovereign. Why is he not going to give his kingdom or a portion of it to everyone? Because he is sovereign in grace. He is sovereign in grace. Grace then truly stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. God is never under obligation to be gracious. Never. He just is gracious sovereignly. Thus the apostle says that for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God so that no one may boast. And you know what the gift there is? Eh? The gift there are three things. By grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. There is salvation there the faith there and the grace there are the gift of God. By grace, through faith, you have been saved. God is gracious, sovereignly. Number two, it's not only God the Father who is sovereign in salvation, it's also God the Holy Spirit who is sovereign in salvation. Verse 5, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly. I'd like you to see there that the Holy Spirit is sovereign in regeneration. By the washing of regeneration of who? Of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God sovereignly regenerates. Why are not all men regenerated? If I may ask you. Why are not all, all men born again? It's because the Spirit of God sovereignly regenerates. He sovereignly awakens sinners. He sovereignly gives the new birth. When the gospel is proclaimed, the, the Spirit of God sovereignly chooses those whom He will save. He doesn't wake everyone. Now if you would go out on evangelism, you would know what I'm talking about. Once we start doing open airs, you will know what I'm talking about. Because we proclaim the gospel to all creatures, everyone who has an ear to hear, but not everyone will not everyone will believe. Only those whom the Spirit regenerates. And the Spirit does this sovereignly. Sinners must be born again if they will inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus says. The washing of regeneration is of the Holy Spirit. 
It's not of, of any goodness that anyone has. It's not of intelligence. It's not of uh, understanding the gospel. The washing of regeneration is of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who does it. And he does it sovereignly. The work of being born again is done alone by God, the Holy Spirit. You know, Kenyans love to say that my name is so and so and I am a born again Christian. That being born again was done by the Holy Spirit. Our Lord says in John chapter 3 verse 8 that the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ equates the work of the Spirit in the hearts of sinners to the wind blowing. No one controls the wind. No, no one knows where the wind is going. No one knows where, it, where it's coming from. All we can see are its effects. When the trees are moving, when the things are being blown. And that's the way the Spirit of God operates. No one knows how He does it. No one knows whom He will choose. He does it sovereignly. No one counsels him. No one commands him. No one tells him, save this one, leave this one. He does it sovereignly. God, the Holy Spirit, is sovereign in salvation. Now, after Jesus has, has said that, um, rather before, before Jesus says that, uh, so it is the Spirit, so uh, before he equates uh, the work of the Spirit to the work of the wind, um, he'll say there in verse 6 of John chapter 3 that that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Again, he equates the work of the spirit to the work of, you know, to, 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 to the being born that people ha have out of their parents. So we who are flesh, we give birth to children who are like us flesh. And he says the spirit of God grants the new birth it's as though he gives birth to his people, so to speak. People are not saved because they are intelligent. You are not saved because you are able to grasp spiritual things better than others. You are not saved even because you received Jesus, my friends. You are saved by being born again. God the Holy Spirit awakened you. God the Holy Spirit sovereignly granted you the new birth. And thus then enabling you to receive Jesus by believing upon him. Listen to the words of John. John chapter 1 verse 11 to 13. John tells us that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, listen to this, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now these are people who have received Jesus Christ. These are people who have believed in Jesus Christ. These people who have received and believed in Jesus Christ, he says, they were born. They were born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, nor, uh, 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 but of God. It's, it was not out of their own will. It was not out of the will of the preacher. It was not out of the will of their parents. It is God who gave them that birth. And we know that God the Spirit is the one who gave them that birth sovereignly. And when he did so, they believed, they received the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Holy Spirit is the one who sovereignly implants new life in the sinner. He's the one who causes him. He's the one who causes her to have faith in God. You did not force God to save you, my friends. 
You did not uh, uh, um, buy salvation from God. You did not win salvation uh, by your goodness from God. You did not woo God to save you by your attractiveness. God the Holy Spirit granted new birth to you sovereignly out of his mere good pleasure. God the Holy Spirit like the wind sovereignly operates upon the hearts of sinners and all we see is his work. You're being born again is the work of the Spirit of God. Now, this is important. It's important for us to know that our God is sovereign in salvation. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit because the implications of this are that all the glory goes to him. All the glory goes to him. All the praise goes to him. You, dear Sina, are humbled. You're told that there's nothing that you did, nothing that you contributed apart from your sins. I can't remember the can't remember who it is that I, I, I saw in social media having posted. They said the work of salvation, if it is corporate. You know, if there's any cooperation, you collaborated with God to save you. God, uh, uh, God brought His uh, power, and you brought your sin, and you therefore collaborated with God for God to save you. And what is being communicated there is that you have done nothing, nothing to be saved apart from being a sinner. Apart from sinning against God. And all you and I can do, my friends, is ask God to save us, right? If you're a Christian, you know that. All you and I can do is, is say, Oh God, be merciful to me. Because God the Father is sovereign in salvation. God the Holy Spirit is sovereign in salvation. God the Holy Spirit is sovereign in regeneration, <clears throat> but then he's also sovereign in renewal. Verse 5. By the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit does not only regenerate, he, regenerate, he, he also renews. This is the direct implication of that sovereign regeneration. The Holy Spirit of God sovereignly re renews those whom he regenerates. He renews them. He makes them new creatures. You saw this few Sundays ago. That God the Spirit grants that definitive change. He renews the heart that was faulty, if you will. The, the, the heart that was sick, he changes. He sanctifies it definitively. So that every Christian is sanctified. is clean, is purified. But not only that, he continues to renew them sovereignly. He continues to change them sovereignly. He grants that progressive sanctification. He keeps renewing them till their last breath. He's going to renew them and renew them and renew them until they, until they, they, they enter glory. This he does sovereignly, my friends. He does sovereignly. Now, let me ask you, are you willing to say that he continues to renew you because you are good? Because you're better than others? Far from it. It's true even to say that the things that we do, as opposed to causing him, causing him to renew us, the things that we do 
chase him away or can chase him away, right? The things that we do can grieve him, can cause him to hate us rather than to love us. The truth of the matter is that the Holy Spirit acts sovereignly. He changes us, he renews us out of his mere good pleasure. He continues to renew you, to sanctify you, to keep you out of his sovereignty, my friends. Not because you're so good or so attractive or so pleasing to him. Lastly, God the Son is sovereign in salvation. God the Son is sovereign in salvation. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now what I'd like you to, to see here is that the Father displays goodness, loving kindness, and mercy through the Son. The Father displays goodness, loving kindness, and mercy through the Son alone. John chapter 15 verse 16. Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now Jesus continuously, the Gospel of John says that he and the Father are one. He says that he came to do the will of his Father. The goodness of God, the loving kindness and mercy of God are all given through the Son. The goodness of God the Father, the loving kindness and mercy of God the Father are all given through God the Son. So that if the Father grants these things sovereignly, it follows inevitably then that the Son through whom they are given also grants them sovereignly. And this is, this is what I'm saying. If God the Father sovereignly chooses those whom he is going to display goodness, loving kindness and mercy to is God the Son going to come and say, no, 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 no. We are going to give it to everyone. Is that what he's going to do? Not quite. The Son sovereignly does it as well. They are not given to all men. These things. Thus then the Son does not shower them on all men. The Father does not give goodness, loving kindness and mercy to everyone. The Son, therefore, is not going to give them to everyone. His redemption is according to the purpose of his Father. While God the Father planned redemption, it is His Son who came to accomplish it. This then means that because the Father has chosen particular people on whom to shine His face upon in salvation, the Son also accomplishes redemption, dies on the cross for particular people, His people, and not everyone who, who would ever live on the face of this earth. That's why He says that we did not choose Him. He chose us. The Bible says that no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. And you know what that, that, that's a reference to? Yeah? No one has ever seen the Father, the Son who is at His side, He has now come to reveal Him to us. We would never have known the invisible God with all His goodness, loving kindness and mercy were it not for the revelation that God the Son came to make. Now listen to this. John 14, 1-11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. 
In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. You know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, "Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way?" Jesus said to him, "I am the way and the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me." Now, that's a very important statement. No one goes to the Father except through the Son. The Son cannot be doing something that is contrary to what the Father has done and still claim that those who go to the Father must pass through him. You get me? The work of the of the Son is completely synchronized with the work of the Father. So that if the Father sovereignly chooses whom he will bestow grace, love, uh, loving kindness, mercy and and goodness, the son cannot do the opposite so he says no one comes to the father except through me if you had known me you would have known my father also from now on you do know him and have seen him because those who have seen him have seen, have seen the father philip said to him lord show us the father and it is enough for us jesus said to him have i been with you so long and you still do not uh, do not know me philip Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works themselves. Now you understand what Jesus is saying there. Or you get a different perspective when you hear those words. And what he's saying is that whatever the Father is doing, I am doing. And therefore, he as well is sovereign in salvation. Not only by the virtue of him being God himself, but also by the virtue of him being united to his Father. Being, being part of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity. John 17, verse 1. To two. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Those whom the Father gives to the Son are the only ones who will be saved. And therefore, the Son is sovereign in salvation. So that all who go to the Son are all whom the Father draws to Him. The, 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 the Father is sovereign in salvation. The Holy Spirit is sovereign in salvation. And the Son as well is sovereign in salvation. Verse 6 of John 17. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. You as they were. And you gave them to me. And they kept your word. When you read John 17 and you hear Jesus speaking of His people... He speaks of them in a very definitive way. Because the atonement is definitive. We believe in a definitive atonement. A limited atonement. Particular redemption. That God saves a particular people. God the Father chooses a particular people whom God the Son dies for. Whom God the Holy Spirit regenerates. Particularly. 
verse 9 of John 17. I am praying for them, these people that are mine, whom you have given me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. I'm not praying for everyone. But for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All are mine, verse 10. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, Really, we can't read, read such words and, and believe that God gave everyone to the Son. No. He's praying for those whom the Father has given, has given Him. And He says, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. The Son is sovereign in salvation. That goodness, loving kindness, mercy and grace that the Father displays are done through the Son. The Spirit, see there, is poured out through the Son. Therefore God the Son, by the virtue of that, is sovereign in salvation. Not only because of the work of His Father, but also because of the, uh, uh, the work of His Spirit. Verse 6 of uh, Titus 3 says, Whom God poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. God the Son, having accomplished redemption for His people, went back to his father. He promised his disciples that he would send them a helper. When God the Father pours his spirit on his people, he does this through God the Son, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And the point here is that God the Son does this sovereignly. He does it sovereignly because the Father does it sovereignly and because the Spirit does it sovereignly. Not out of anything that he sees in the sinner. Not because sinners are so uh, uh, worthy to receive this. John 14, verse 15 to 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of God is poured out through God the Son, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. Verse 25 of John 14. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now we have already seen um, that the goodness and loving kindness and mercy of God, the Father, uh, our Savior comes through God the Son. So the salvation is by God the Son. And it is through God the Son. Similarly, God the Holy Spirit is given forth from God the Son. Everything that pleases God is worked out in us by God the Holy Spirit through God the Son. And this is because the Spirit is poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Eternal life and all the gifts of God come to us through God the Son. God the Son sovereignly chooses those whom He will save. He's not going to save everyone. This is to say that the redemptive work that Jesus Christ did was not so that anyone and everyone may be saved. It was pointed, it was particular. For whom did Christ die? For his people. Lastly, 
as we finish, I'd like you to see that the grace of the Father is the grace of the Son. The grace of the Father is the grace of the Son. Notice that there, verse 7. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The grace that God the Father displays upon sinners sovereignly is also the grace of God the Son. Look at chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The grace which God the Father gives is the same grace that God the Son gives. This grace that the Father displays sovereignly is the same grace of His Son. His Son also grants it sovereignly. God the Son lays down His life graciously for His people. I mean, I'm saying that the grace of the, the, the Father is the grace of the Son because God the Son lays down His life of His own accord. Right? John chapter 10 verse 14 to 18. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me. Why? Why? Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. What Jesus is saying is that he is gracious to you, dear saint. He has been gracious to you by laying down his life for you, his sheep. And he, lay down, he lays down his life of his own accord. Not because you are so good. Not because you have compelled him. Not because he is forced to do it. No, no. He does it graciously. He gives it as a gift. And this is the same way that God the Father gives His Son, right? For God so loved the world that He gave. We were reminded in the morning that God gave. God gave. And, and this is the same way that the Son shows or displays grace. Is that He gives. He gives Himself. He lays down His life of His own accord. See there, my friends, that our God is sovereign in salvation. God the Father is sovereign in salvation, in, in, in displaying goodness, loving kindness, mercy, and grace. He is sovereign. God the Holy Spirit is sovereign in salvation. He's sovereign in salvation because He regenerates sovereignly and He renews sovereignly. God the Son is so sovereign in salvation because the goodness, loving kindness, mercy, and grace of the Father are His. And the Spirit of God whom is poured to us is also His Spirit. Applications. Let me bring to you three applications. <clears throat> Chicken has a tendency to come here every evening. Eh? It's okay. Number one, worship the triune God. Worship the triune God. <clears throat> when I say our God is sovereign in salvation, what I'm aiming at for you is that when you go to God, you worship the triune one. That you don't worship the Father only. That you don't think that the Son only is the one who died for you. Well, He's the one who died for you, but He's the one who, who you know, did, quote-unquote, salvation for you. But it's, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
We don't want to be like the Pentecostals who completely forgot the Father, are now quickly forgetting the Son, and they have exalted the Holy Spirit. And that's not the Spirit of the Father, and it's not the Spirit of the Son. It's their, it's their Spirit that they have come up with. We want to be uh, uh, Trinity believers. You know, Trinity in the literal sense of it. We want to, we want to uh, be Trinitarian. We worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because salvation that, the salvation that we have, that we believe in, has been accomplished by all of them. The Father chooses, the Son dies for His people, and the Spirit applies the work of the Son. Number two, thank God for choosing you. Thank God for choosing you. The Apostle Paul tells the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruit to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Now, now that verse alone tells you to worship the triune God and it tells you to thank God for choosing you. Listen to it again. But we always ought to give thanks to God, the Father, brothers beloved by the Lord, the Son, because the Father chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, and belief in the truth. You are not special, my brothers and sisters. God sovereignly chose you. I mean, there are so many people dying in their sins. 100,000 people and more die every day in their sins. We are not special. Thank God for choosing you. Every time you, you kneel to pray, thank God for saving you. Because if He did it sovereignly, why you? Why you? I mean, the question that we ask when we come to the Bible, usually as humans, is why, why did God uh, hate Esau? Right? But the question should not be, why did he hate Esau? The question should be, why did he love Jacob? I mean, J Jacob was a schemer, trickster, mastermind. But God loved him. Why? God should have hated all of them. God should hate everyone in this world. But God doesn't do that. He sovereignly chooses. And He has chosen you if you are a Christian here this afternoon. Therefore, you should thank Him. You should thank Him. Thirdly, lastly, proclaim the God who is sovereign in salvation. Proclaim the God who is sovereign in salvation. Don't, don't preach a God who... Who will die if people don't come to him? Eh? If, if people don't come to, to him, then it's as though he has no life, he's de depressed. Preach a God who is sovereign in salvation. Preach a God who tells men, You are sinners, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. I am holy, 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 holy. Come to me through my son that I have given you. Preach that God. That God who, who is triune. 
omnipotent, all-powerful, that God who will save to the uttermost, that God who will save anyone and everyone who will come to him, that God who is not in need of people, yet he saves them to be with them for all eternity while he doesn't need them. Preach a God who is sovereign in salvation, my friends. Godi Bokam calls the Christ of this age a sissified, uh, effeminate Jesus who is beautiful with hair that is, uh, that is more beautiful than that of the women of this world. And that's not the Jesus that we know. We know the Jesus that is almighty, all-powerful, the one who will come with a sword coming out of his mouth on that white horse with all power and majesty. We know that Jesus who went to the cross, died for his people, took upon himself their sins. Who, while he knew the agony, he went still. While he knew that these people will deny him, he went still. We we, we want a Jesus who sustained the men who, who drew the nails in his hands. He's the one who gave them breath. He preserved them from their birth. That's the Jesus that we want to proclaim. The one who saves to the uttermost from every people group, tribe and nation and tongue. Proclaim him. I call you this afternoon to proclaim him. That God, our God, is sovereign in salvation and we are not afraid to to say that he is. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for you've been merciful to allow us to sit once again, and uh, preaching through Titus 3, 4 to 7. We pray that you may help us indeed to grasp this concept that our God is sovereign in salvation. And oh, grant that we would bow before you, O oh, triune God. You who, according to the counsel of your will, you do everything that you please. We pray that you may help us to, 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 to be thankful. Thankful that you chose us while we were in our mire repeat, when you were forbidding the apostles from going to certain cities, you allowed them to come to ours through your word, that we may hear the excellencies of Christ and be saved. Thank you for sovereignly choosing us when we did not deserve it. Grant, O oh Lord, that we would proclaim this sovereign God to the dying world. Grant, O oh Lord, that we would proclaim Jesus to the uttermost, that we would proclaim a spirit who is able to regenerate and you proclaim a father who chooses his people and draws them to the son help us to call all men everywhere to repent that those who go to hell go there because they refused to bow to you because of their sins rightly so justly so help us lord to hear these words and take them to heart to glorify your name in all of them Please hear our prayers. Answer us according to your will, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.